0: Psalm of David. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Lord bless the reading of this word. Let's sing hymn number 560. Our scripture reading is from Numbers chapter 18. We'll read verses 1 through 7 and also verse 20. The Lord said to Aaron, You, your sons, and your father's family are to bear the responsibility for offenses against the sanctuary, and you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses against the priesthood. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when you and your sons minister before the tent of the testimony. They are to be responsible to you and are to perform all the duties of the tent, but they must not go near the furnishings of the sanctuary or the altar, or both they and you will die. They are to join you and be responsible for the care of the tent of meeting, all the work at the tent, and no one else may come near where you are. You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar, so that wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to do the work at the tent of meeting. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary must be put to death. Skipping down to verse 20. The Lord said to Aaron... You will have no inheritance in their land nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. Jake, can you lead us in prayer? Well, we now come to the very end of Daniel. This is the last word on astonishing things to come. And I don't know about you, but this study of Daniel has been very enjoyable to me. I hope you have learned... Uh, something about covenant history and the time of the Babylonian captivity as we've spent the last few months studying the book and the history and the prophecies of Daniel. I have found it remarkable how the book connects to virtually everything in the Old Testament. We've seen a little bit of everything kind of piled into this book of Daniel. Daniel's referring to things all the way back in the earliest chapters of Genesis with the details of creation. We'll actually see some more of that today. We also saw the story of Joseph. The story of Daniel is really another story of Joseph, and that goes back to Genesis as well. The history of Israel is all wrapped up in Daniel, and we've seen allusions to the worship system of Israel, and even the Ten Commandments woven into this entire structure of the literary um, book of Daniel. We've seen how that works as well. And at the same time, Daniel sets the stage for everything to come in covenant history from then on. We see the prophecies um, cover the time period between the return of Israel to the land and sets the scene for the first century with the coming of Messiah. A lot of the New Testament detail and expectation come from Daniel's prophecies. We saw how that works with the prophecies specifically about the 70 weeks in Daniel 9. So Daniel is a great book that helps us understand the big story of the Bible because Daniel's reaching all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible and he's, going all, and he's presenting material that we see sets the context for all the New Testament as well. And we saw, especially with that, with the book of Revelation last week with the opening up of the sealed book of prophecy. But perhaps best of all, Daniel is just a great story in the Bible. Here you have a young man in Judah who was taken as a captive to Babylon. He refuses to forsake the God of his fathers, the God who is with him in this foreign land, this unfamiliar land. And with God's help, Daniel rises to high authority in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel actually converts Nebuchadnezzar to the worship of the one true God. And not just once, he does this twice because we see with Darius the Mede, he also converts Darius the Mede to worship the one true God of Israel. And so then Daniel was given... Uh, we have all those different stories in the history of Daniel. Then Daniel was given all these prophecies about the future of his people, the Jews. But I want you to remember here as we finish up Daniel that the one overarching theme of Daniel is worship and covenant relationship with God. We'll see that, um, how that is per, uh, prominent again in these last verses. But a lot of people miss that about Daniel. They make Daniel to be about politics, politics, or they make Daniel to be about the prophecies of the end of the world. And as we've gone through verse by verse through Daniel, what we've seen is that Daniel has nothing to say about that. There are no modern politics in the book of Daniel. There, are, there is no mention of the end of the universe or anything else. This is the covenant prophecy related to God's covenant world and God's covenant people. This is all about worship and covenant relationship with God. Daniel is focused from the beginning to end on true worship and covenant relationship with God. We see this, uh, interestingly enough, Daniel is like sort of the Levite to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one who was helping Nebuchadnezzar worship God. Just like the Levites were to help Israel, Israel was to help the other nations. And so here Daniel is like a Levite helping Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that with Daniel chapter 3 and the fiery furnace. Remember, the fiery furnace was... Nebuchadnezzar's attempt to set up his own worship system and what happened when he threw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego into the fire into the, onto the altar as a burnt sacrifice to God God rejected Nebuchadnezzar's sacrifice his burnt offering would not receive Mesh- uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because he had ordained Daniel to be the leader of worship in Babylon even though he had given the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar to rule we'll see how that all plays out here in this last section of Daniel, because actually all of that is coming back up again in these details. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12, beginning in verse 5 to the end of the book. These are the concluding words in the last prophecy. I'll read from verse 5 to the end of the book. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and a half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So we have a scene here where Daniel overhears a conversation at the river. And it's more obvious, the scene is more obvious if we look at it in Hebrew because the word in Hebrew for river is not the general word for for river. The word in in Hebrew for river here is actually used most often in the Old Testament of the Nile. And so we have a context here with this vision of Daniel. We are really setting a context um, that might help you understand what's going on. If this is the Nile, then Daniel's vision is set in a sort of spiritual Egypt. Daniel is being told by the reference to the Nile in this scene here that a new exodus is coming. The man clothed in linen here at the end is, of course, the same man clothed in linen at the beginning of Daniel 10. Remember, we talked about the chiastic structure, about how this passage passage starts out with um, referencing certain details, and then it comes back to referencing those same details in the reverse order, working its way out to the end of the chapter. Well, this matches, of course, Daniel chapter 10 uh, at the beginning of this literary section, verses 5 and 7, which is where Daniel first is introduced to this man dressed in linen above the river. He says, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite. That would be, be blue. His face like light, light, lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. And so now we have this mention again of this very same scene at the end of this chiastic structure. Uh, once again, and we saw when we were in Daniel 10 how this is all dr- drawn from the attire, the robes, and the dress of the high priest in Exodus. Um, the blue robe, and for example, the sash and, and the burnished bronze is like this, the skin of, a, of an Israelite. So this is all drawn from the law, and this is, this is actually the man who would be Israel's true high priest during the 70 weeks. We saw this opened up. Um, with all this commotion that's going to go on during the 70 weeks, God's people need to understand that there would be a true high priest that would represent them no matter what would happen to the priesthood. And so we have this allusion to this vision of the man above the waters who is clothed in the attire of the high priest. We saw that Daniel, Daniel actually saw the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who would be the true high priest of Israel during this time. This is the divine man who is above the water of the river. Now that should take you back to ver- the very beginning of creation, because at the very beginning of creation, we find out that God's spirit hovered over the waters, and so this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ before He took on flesh, um, before He took on flesh uh, as as the Son of God, who is the center of this vision, and He is the one placed over the water in the high priestly garb, and we have two. Two men, one on each side of him, one on each side of the river, and there's this conversation going on. And Daniel's watching this from afar. And one of the persons involved in the conversation asks Christ, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Now I suspect, though the text does not say it, that the two men that Daniel sees are Moses and Elijah. So we have the man above the waters as the true high priest of Israel, the pre-incarnate Jesus, with two men on each side of the river, Nile, speaking with Jesus. Does this look familiar to you to something in the New Testament? It looks familiar, a predecessor of the Transfiguration. Because there you have the glorified Christ on a mountain, glorified with a cloud, and he had a man on each side of him, Moses and Elijah, representing law and prophets, and he was talking with these men. So we see a little prefigurement of that here in this particular text. And I think that's why um, it does sort of uh, imply that we've got Moses and Elijah here on both sides of the river. The setting in Egypt tells us that a new exodus is coming. When the time comes for this to be fulfilled, Israel would be a new Egypt. Interestingly enough, the New Testament calls Israel Sodom. And Egypt in Revelation, so we see another connection here. But when the Messiah shows up, God's people are living in a spiritual Egyptian captivity, kind of on top of a Babylonian captivity. Think of it that way. Um, And there are ways of seeing this in the New Testament. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter three. I've always been intrigued by this passage, and I continue to come back to this passage because it's it's just it's so obvious, yet it's it's so subtle. What Matthew is saying here, Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter three, I'm sorry, Matthew um, chapter two, beginning in verse twelve, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child. To kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. How can that fulfill the prophet? Out of Egypt I have called my son. It can fulfill the prophet because Israel had become Egypt. Remember Herod? Herod's the ruler, the king of the Jews and Herod's going to be the one who searches and kills the baby children, the male children, Herod's become another pharaoh. And so all of Israel here has become a sort of Egypt from which God's people must escape. And so when, it, when Jesus is taken out of Israel to Egypt, we have the fulfillment that out of Egypt I have called my son. You know, if it was talking about the literal Egypt, it could have, um, Matthew should have put that phrase that fulfillment of prophecy when they return from Egypt to Judea. But actually, Matthew puts it when they leave Egypt or leave Judea and go to to Egypt. And so Judea and Israel had become a sort of Egypt here uh, by this time of fulfillment. And we see something very similar going on, the reverse. When Jesus is baptized on the other side of Jordan, he actually comes and enters the land like a new Moses. He comes and invades Egypt, And he tells the religious leaders, let my people go, in a sense. That's really what's going on with the New Testament. You've got the invasion of Egypt by the new Moses. Um, and what Jesus is, has is in his intent to do during his ministry is to lead his people out of the land of bondage. And so this scene here on the, on the bank of the river Nile sets an Egyptian context And that's really what we see at the beginning of the New Testament with Matthew, Uh, Matthew's phraseology about fulfillment of out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, Jesus confronted the Jewish leaders with the law and the prophets. And we saw that in the the, uh, connections here between the two men on each side of the river and Moses and Elijah. But actually, uh, if you go back to that Egyptian scene in Exodus, you'll see that Moses also had Two men, one on each side of him, that helped him during the first exodus. So let's continue in verse 7 of our text. The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying it will be for a time, times and a half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken all these things will be completed. So think back to the exodus. Notice here that the Christ raises two hands and he's got a man on each side of him, on each side of the river, the way this, this vision is set forward to us. Does that, does that look familiar to you at all? A time of Exodus when the new Moses would raise both hands? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 17 because there's, I think there's some history being drawn on here. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17 beginning in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so we have Moses standing up high over the battle. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands... The Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat down. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. So we have here so this echo of what's going on with the Exodus. When the Amalekites attacked Israel. Moses raised both hands and appealed to God for victory of the children of Israel over the Amalekites. And so we have something very similar, very similar here with the man clothed in linen who was above the waters, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, appealing to God for his people, and swears by him who lives forever, swears by his Father in heaven. As an answer to the question, it will be for a time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. The time, times, and half a time is a reference to the set times we covered in the long prophecy. And the, this, of course, takes us up to the half a time, which I believe is the Great Tribulation because Jesus talks about the Great Tribulation as being a time that is shortened in Matthew chapter 24, 24, 22. So this is the whole time of the 70 weeks the Christ is affirming with an oath that all these things will be fulfilled at the end of the 70 weeks and then the Christ gives a, a marker by which they would know. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken or shattered, all these things will be completed. Now, what was the power of the holy people? Their power was that God had ordained his covenant relationship to man to be mediated through them. The Jews were in charge of maintaining the true worship of God. That's what we see in the book of Daniel. All the stories of Daniel, Daniel is is given to Nebuchadnezzar to be a helper, to lead Nebuchadnezzar and later Darius in the true worship of God. We saw how, I mentioned this already in Daniel 3, when Nebuchadnezzar set up his own system of worship it failed because the fiery furnace uh, was an altar in, in Daniel chapter 3 and God rejected the burnt offering of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then, so Nebuchadnezzar had learned from, from Daniel chapter 3 on that the Jews were in charge of worship even though he was given the kingdom to rule. And so he would have to listen to Daniel and follow Daniel's instructions about the proper and right worship of God. Well, when did the power of the holy people become shattered? Well, we see that in the New Testament, beginning with the conversion of Cornelius the Gentile. Remember the story of Cornelius? Cornelius was the first Gentile Christian. And what about the story of Cornelius that sticks out in this regard? When Peter went to Cornelius and had found that this, this, this Gentile, this uncircumcised, unclean man, had received the gospel, he, um, first of all, didn't like the idea, and he was, had to give a vision about the sheet coming down with clean and unclean animals and Peter was told to get up and kill and eat um, anything on that sheet but also Peter was astonished that the spirit was poured out on this Gentile believer without the laying on of Jewish hands that marks the beginning of the shattering of the power of the holy people because up until that point the worship was uh, entrusted to the Israelites and of course uh, entrusted ultimately to the Levites as we saw from Numbers in our, in our scripture reading. So the conversion of the Gentiles to Christ, apart from temple worship, apart from the law, apart from circumcision, marked the breaking of the power of the holy people, and ultimately it was completely shattered, of course, when the, when the, the temple and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 uh, through the Roman armies. That was the end, again the same end as referenced in the 70 weeks and we saw this back in, in Daniel nine twenty six. The people of the ruler to come, the fourth kingdom, Rome, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood or as a flood. So that's the end that's in view here in Daniel's prophecy. And so we have here the end of the power of the holy people as as leaders of God's worship. Verse eight. Now we go switch to Daniel who's listening to this conversation going on um, in this vision. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. So Daniel heard this conversation going on by the river Nile with the Christ above the waters and one man on each side, one at each bank, but he did not understand. He is confused because the prophecy speaks of the end of the Jews as God's covenant people. That would baffle Daniel, and if we notice at the end of Daniel chapter nine and the vision of the uh, prophecy of the 70 weeks, Daniel was also distraught at the end of the 70 weeks prophecy because it prophesied the end of the city and the sanctuary again. This was something that he had very difficulty in understanding. But here he is baffled because he saw the end of the power of the holy people. Daniel is told, This time of trouble would be a time for testing and for refining. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And the the word for wise there in Hebrew could also be translated as skillful. Those who are skilled will understand. And that has more to do with um, our hands and our feet as opposed to intellectual knowledge. But here we see the prophecy again of what's going to take place in the New Testament, that the wise or the skillful are going to understand um, all of this taking place and they're going to accept what God is doing in that world even though at this point Daniel is very confused by what he's seeing in the vision because of what he had, his entire life had been about being a representative to the kings that he uh, was a part of. Verses 11 and 12. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. And remember, these numbers are matched chiastically to the beginning of this section remember we, when we were in Daniel 10, I showed how this is, there's a link here between Daniel's fast for three weeks at the very beginning of Daniel 10. Well, now we're coming back to that same chiastic connection here. Daniel's fast for three weeks matches the three Egyptian captivities, which was 430 years. If you multiply 430 years by three, you end up with 1290 days. It's a symbolic number. And then it says, Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. And so we have the 1290 days added with 45 days, which was the time period it took for Israel to leave Egypt and then enter and subdue the promised land. Blessed are those who reach and wait for and reach the end of the 1335 days bringing back the Israel history of those who made it into the promised land whose bodies did not fall in the wilderness. And of course, really um, what we got connected here is the issue of Caleb and Joshua, who were the only two who came out of Egypt and made it all the way into the promised land. So there's, a, there's, this, there's this theme here working with uh, the Exodus, the Old Testament Exodus, Exodus and this, this arrival into this promised land after a long wait. So what we have is not just the 430 years of Egyptian captivity in, in Exodus, but now we have three times that for this period between Daniel and what the Messiah was going to come do as a new Moses and deliver Israel. Blessed are the ones who wait for and reach the end of the 1335 days. Why are they blessed? They are blessed because they enter the true promised land of rest. This is the true promised land of God's rest, of of eternal salvation. And we can see a theology of this in Hebrews chapter 4. If you want to see why the theology of the promised land as being a symbol or a picture of the eternal salvation of God, you can read Hebrews chapter 4 and it talks about um, the way this works out. Because the promised land in Israel was like everything else in Israel. It was a shadow, a picture of something to come. And so you have the promised land of rest in Old Testament Israel, which was the land, the physical land, but that was a shadow, a picture of the land of God's rest, which actually Hebrews 4 connects with the seventh day of creation, God's rest. Continue in verse 13. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. Notice the theme of rest there. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted Inheritance. So this is all playing off the theme of the exodus and the inheritance of Israel they received the promised land as their inheritance at the end of their wilderness wandering and conquest and now Daniel's looking forward to the ultimate um, uh, the ultimate Egyptian captivity the ultimate wilderness wandering and Joshua conquest here to come with the Messiah and the, those who reached the end of that are the ones who are blessed. They're the ones who receive the allotted inheritance. Now notice the timing of when Daniel receives his inheritance. You will rest and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. What this is talking about is a resurrection. Daniel is going to rise at the end of the 70 weeks. This is a resurrection. And I want you to think about what that means. Because... We now understand, we have, I presented how the 70 weeks were fulfilled in the first century. And so what that means is that Daniel has been raised from the dead because the end of the days were fulfilled in the first century. Daniel is alive right now. That's what the timing all suggests. Daniel is alive right now. Not here on, in, on earth in a physical body, but in the body of Christ. Daniel's working in God's kingdom right now. That's what the text is telling us, based on the timing which the the Messiah swears by. Daniel is alive. He has been resurrected along with all the faithful who lived during the Old Covenant Age. Now, the way this works out, you don't get the full story here, but you do get the full story in the New Testament. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. You get the full story very clearly in Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning in verse 32, the author says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions... I wonder who that's talking about. Who shut the mouths of lions... Daniel shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison they were stoned, they were sought into, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And this is the scene. This is the scene of what Daniel is waiting for. He's waiting to be made perfect with the church of the first century. Daniel had to wait for the Messiah to complete his work of salvation. He had to rest and wait before he could receive his inheritance. That's what the ending is talking about. The high priest of Israel had to complete his work before God's people under the bondage of sin could, be, could again fully commune with God without enmity. We saw how enmity enters the world at the fall, enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That's why the Bible ends with this vision of a great big city that is like the Garden of Eden, like paradise restored. And so the message of Daniel here The concluding message of Daniel, as we fit it into the context of the Old Testament, as we see it going through to the New Testament, is that you now live in that city. You are living in that city with Daniel and with all those other people. And there are ways that they are interacting with kingdom life today. I believe that Daniel and all these other people listed in Hebrews 11 are involved in working out God's kingdom so that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we have the situation where we're living in this great city. We're living with Daniel. We're living with all these people of the Old Testament because the Messiah's work has been completed. The entire body of Christ has been raised to new life in a new world. So let us practice the lessons of Daniel. Let us be joyful and content as we live together in the city of God, the place of eternal life, the inheritance God bestows on His people in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for what You've done in our lives, knitting us together as a congregation, giving us a place to serve in Your kingdom. We pray that You would lead us and guide us, teach us to practice the wisdom of Daniel in all the different challenges that we have in our day when there are those who would like to persecute your people as there were in his day as well. Lord, we pray that you'd bless us as we grow in the, in the knowledge of you. We pray that you'd be with us. We pray that you'd um, keep us from persecution. Um, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil that we see around us. Lord, we pray all these things in Christ's name, our King, our High Priest, and our Savior. In Jesus Christ's name.